Seattle has been making a foray into experiments with the minimum wage. Seattle's not the only place doing it. A number of municipalities have attempted to do this, and they have been astonished, surprised at the results. And this is something that, that ought not to have astonished them. They ought not to be um, surprised because, I mean, think about it for a minute. If you have someone in, let's say, the fair city of Seattle who, for various reasons, inexperience, uh, lack of ability, whatever, has a skill set that is not worth very much. Let's say the most this person can do is sweep out a warehouse. All right? He can handle a push broom, and he's willing to, he's willing to sweep out the warehouse. But having, having that warehouse swept out is not worth to the owner of the warehouse, not or to the owner of the company, it is not worth $15 an hour. The owner would sweep out the warehouse himself rather than pay that. So you've got someone who, let's say, whose skill level is at, uh, he's worth maybe $7 an hour, let's say. Uh, in other words, if he came knocking on the owner's door and said, hey, listen, I will sweep out your warehouse uh, every day at the end of the end of the workday, and the um, the owner says, "Oh, what what are your rates? What do you what would you charge for that?" Uh, and the guy says seven dollars an hour, and the owner thinks, "You know, at that rate, I can, yeah, I can do that." And he hires the guy to sweep out his warehouse. If some well-meaning politicians come along and raise the minimum wage to fifteen dollars an hour, what have they just done? Now, the rhetoric of it, the, what they tell us all they are doing, is getting this poor guy who used to get $7 an hour, they tell us that they are getting eight extra dollars every hour for this gentleman. See, look, look at how generous we are. We're, we are giving him $8 an hour. We've more than doubled his, um, we've more than doubled his income. Aren't we grand? Aren't we great? What they've actually done is they've priced him right out of the market. His labor is not worth $15 an hour. He can't sell it for that. So what they've done is they've, they've cost him his job. So instead of getting $15 an hour instead of $7 an hour, he's getting $0 an hour because they threw him out of work. In other words, minimum wage laws are an unemployment incentive minimum wage laws are are ways of putting people throwing people out of work and the people that are thrown out of work are the people who are on the low end of the scale well how so well, well let's just approach this with a little thought experiment why why are the advocates of raising the minimum wage why are they so cheap why are why are they so chintzy why don't the people running Seattle, or your fair city, if they're contemplating this, why don't they just, you know, shoot the moon? If they raise the if they raise the minimum wage to a hundred dollars a minute, a hundred dollars a minute, then that would make every, absolutely everybody rich. Everybody would be rich if we raised it to a hundred dollars a minute. So why don't we raise it to a hundred dollars a minute? Well, the answer should be obvious, and that is uh, the employers don't have $100 a minute. And if they did have it, 
not all their employees are worth $100 a minute to them. So what happens is they, if we, if we actually raised the minimum wage to $100 a minute, it would throw pretty much the whole working population out of work. Everybody would be out of work because the minimum wage law priced them out of the market. That's what's happening. Now, if you did, if you did this at $100 a minute and it, and it priced virtually you know, 99% of the labor force were priced out of the market, it would be obvious what happened. Everybody would say, oh, the minimum wage law threw everybody out of work. But because you're just picking on the low-skilled, low-end worker, because you're just picking on him, and he is in no position to fight back, what happens is that you, you raise the, in the name of goodness and virtue and, and, and the council members' pure thoughts, you raise the, the minimum wage to $15 an hour, and all of a sudden, all the fast food joints start ordering kiosks to, um, to process everybody's order. The, the robots have arrived because the robots don't need $15 an hour. What, what happens is you have priced low-end workers. You have priced entry-level workers out of the market. So let's come at this another way. Raising the minimum wage so that people can have what is uh, called a living wage is done in the name of compassion. That The people argue, arguing for it are saying that the people who oppose them are hard-hearted. The people who oppose them are cruel and love money more than people. No, they don't love money more than people. They love, uh, they love people because because they know math. They they understand how payroll works. They understand how much money they have, and how much money they need to generate if they're to stay in business, because they have to stay in business if the person is to continue to have a job. So they un- they understand math, and because they understand math, they use this as a way of loving people. People who understand math are the people who employ other people who give them jobs. People who don't understand math, uh, math the harsh mistress, say, let's make everybody rich, let's make everybody well off, let's, let's have happy times, let's, um, um, <laughs> you know, fluffy clouds and uniforms, uh, unicorns prevail. Let's, let's usher in the, the age of Aquarius here and go $15 an hour and then $20 an hour and pretty soon the millennium is right around the corner. What they're actually doing is they they love their own conceits and their own ignorance more than they love actual poor people who would be delighted with an actual job. Uh, There are many people who are willing to sweep out a warehouse, who are willing to take a job in a fast food joint, and they're willing to be paid a uh, a modest amount. And if if the person is worth more than that, then they should go on, head on down the road in, in this free country of ours and get hired by someone who recognizes that they are worth more than that. In the meantime, don't, with a false sense of compassion, don't with, don't with a false sense of your own ethical superiority, do something that lands most heavily on the poor. That's because the Bible has very severe, strict things to say about those who are harsh to the poor. And that means that socialists, planners, minimum, minimum wage raisers are in trouble. The God of the Bible rebukes them. The God of the Bible will judge them 
for their arrogance and their conceit uh, because somebody else is paying for that. Always a will be God, God in creation, God when I had a... So here's our book plug. Here's our, here's our book review. I'm going to be talking about all kinds of books, and, and I generally don't finish books unless they're good, and I've read lots of five-star books in my life. But if you if you made me narrow it down, said, oh, what 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 are the ten, what are the ten best books you've read? This book would be one of them. We become what we worship. We become what we worship. This book is by G.K. Beale, B-E-A-L-E, and he shows well. Basically, if you if you go to Psalm 115, it says it says there that uh, idols have eyes but they see not, ears but they hear not. They have all these organs of of sight and smell and taste and, and and so on, but they can't do anything with them. They they have eyes, but they cannot see, ears, but they cannot hear, noses, but they cannot smell. But then Psalm 115 goes on to say, those that make them are like unto them. Those that make them are like unto them. And you can, you can see this principle at work in the in the scriptures in a both a both a positive and a negative sense in Psalm 115 you see it at work in a negative sense idolaters who worship something that's blind deaf and dumb become themselves blind deaf and dumb they start to take on the attributes of the god they worship and if they worship a god who is cruel according to their stories they become cruel themselves if they uh, worship a god who is licentious, they become licentious, and so on. So the principle is an, is certainly attested in Scripture in a negative sense, but we also have it come like him, because that we will become like the Lord Jesus because we will see him as he is. So when we see Jesus, we are going to become like him because we we will see him fully as he is. And when we behold Jesus Christ, we will become like Jesus Christ. And, and the Bible also teaches that that is a slow transformational process that's happening in the course of this life. So we are being transformed, the Bible teaches, from one degree of glory to another. As we behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ in our worship, we are becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. So when we worship the true God, we become like what we worship. When we worship false gods. We, be, we become like what we worship. We become like life. We become like death. Remember that mankind was created in the image of God. Um, men and women are image, image bearers. And as image bearers, this means that we reflect what we're pointing at. If we're, if we're oriented toward God, the true and living God, we're going to reflect him. If we are in rebellion and sin, pointed toward idols, we are going to reflect those idols. We are, we are built to be reflectors. We are built to reflect the image of that which we are facing in worship. Now, to Beale's book. The thing that is glorious about uh, what Beale has done in this book is that I, I've cited a few places, a few places in the, in the New Testament and then Psalm 115. What Beale does is he goes, through, he goes through all of Scripture and he shows that this principle, you become what you worship, is one of the grand themes of Scripture. 
it's not just something that's tucked away in a corner. This is a theme that you can trace all the way through the Bible. It is one of the great themes. It's one of the grand themes. And if you want to understand why God made man, how God made man, what we're, what we're supposed to be doing, and what we're supposed to be avoiding, this would be a glorious book to read. It is a scholarly book. If you're not used to reading books this uh, weighty, then simply pace yourself and, and take it in smaller bits. Just read, read a page or two at a time. But it's, I believe it's really practical, really accessible, and would really be fruitful for your spiritual life. We become what we worship by G.K. Beale. Silas came to Thessalonica. They preached very effectively in the synagogue for three Sabbaths running. When the leaders of the Jews there saw just how effective they were, they were stirred up by envy and assembled a mob. Uh, so that's in Acts 17.5. The KJV renders their raw material for the uproar as lewd fellows of the baser sort. So the leaders of the Jews were motivated by envy, and when they were provoked by envy, they needed a stick to hit the apostles with. They needed a weapon. So uh, when Cain was upset with Abel, um, he had to look around for a weapon, and he found, he found some sort of weapon and killed his brother. What envy does, what malice does, what animosity does, is it looks for a weapon. And in this case, the weapon was a group of guys, lewd fellows of the baser sort. The word underneath baser sort is uh, agarias and is translated by the ESV as rabble, agarias, A-G-O-R-A-I-O-S. Um, there, there is always a group somewhere hanging around on a street corner. Uh, they don't have necessarily a, a sign over their heads called rent a mob. But there's always a group that you can gather up if you have some sort of dirty business in mind. This particular evil um, refers to worthless fellows who hang around with time on their hands, waiting to be employed by the envious evil that resides uptown. So the envious who hired them lived in the skyscrapers, lived in the penthouses, lived in the, uh, the upscale neighborhoods. And when they want to act, and when they want to act against the uh, apostles in this case, they go to hire the lewd fellows of the baser sort, or they go to hire this rabble. I think there was a, there was a, I'm trying to remember the exact phrase that John Knox used. There was a riot in Perth. In the course of the Reformation, there was one riot that, that, that was an iconoclastic riot, and it was on the side of the Reformation. But John Knox dismissed the rioters as, I think it was that rascal multitude, something like that. So there are these lewd fellows of the baser sort in every era, and they've sometimes been uh, used by people who ought to have known better. But in Scripture, they're used by the wicked. God in the time of the sickness, God in the doctor too. You've spent a pleasant half hour with podcast proprietor Douglas Wilson. This podcast is produced by Canon Press. Please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite listening platform. To hear more from Doug, please visit canonpress.com.